1: History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.
0: The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give Castbox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with Castbox. We think it's the best.
2: What follows may not be suitable for all
0: audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside The Box of Oddities. Ow, my back is so itchy.
2: I'm so sorry. Ow!
1: Welcome back, freak family. Ow. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready to do this thing (laughs) with the itchy back and whatnot.
2: Okay. It's been a fun couple of days. We had some learning experiences, including uh um, the microwave explosion incident (laughs) of 2017 rolling over and still affecting me today.
1: To this day. This this is a... A little mishap you had a, a year or so ago, and you're, you've been traumatized.
2: Yeah. This is how I clean the microwave. It's very effective. I put a measuring cup full of water with some lemon juice in the microwave, and then I steam it. Mm-hmm. I cook it up for like five minutes, and it gets all steamy, and the microwave gets all... Uh, Well, steamy. And then you take the water out and you just wipe the microwave down and everything that was gross inside of it just wipes right off. It's super easy. And so this is how I've done things for years. Um, Unfortunately, last year we had a bit of a mishap. Um, I may have put the water on for too long. I'm not sure exactly what happened. Some sort of science thing happened where when the microwave stopped and I opened the door and I went to pull the measuring cup full of water out of the microwave, it exploded.
1: It sounded like the the container was going to break. Yeah. It didn't.
2: The container did not break. Just the water inside of the measuring cup.
1: It leapt up and bit you
2: it shot out of the measuring cup.
1: Not sure why that happened, because we're not like a physics guy, we're no Bill Nye.
2: If someone can explain the science of what happened to me, I don't, you know, I would really appreciate that. Um, But what I do know is that I became severely scalded, mostly on my scalp, because we have one of those over the stove microwaves, so I had to kind of reach up to, yeah. So it exploded, rained uh, boiling hot water onto me, and and burned me pretty badly. Sweet love over here, hustled over, poured some cool water on my head, made sure that I didn't lose scalp skin, uh, which was nice. Um, But now I'm like, I have a real hard time every time I try to take the water out of the microwave. Yeah.
1: You suffer from post-microwave trauma. Right.
2: Right. Which is funny, because I was like, I don't know why I behave this way around the microwave now. But I do. I know exactly why. It's one, because yep. I have PTSD like legit, and two, because I suffered a trauma. Yeah. Yes you,
1: <laughs> yes, you did. Kat actually almost has a Pavlovian response to the microwave going off. She hears the microwave beep and she covers her head, <laughs> usually with a towel. Or whatever she happens to have handy. I've never had anything like that happen. The closest thing that I've ever experienced to that was one time I left a bag of groceries in the back of my truck, Mm. and it was really hot. And in the bag of groceries was one of those popping fresh dough biscuit tubes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. doesn't handle the heat well. (laughs) 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 I'm driving along, and it just. (laughs) And uh, Duck the, and cover. Yeah, the dough shot out over my shoulder and and hit the windshield. And I had no idea what it was. was first, you know what the first thing I thought it was? A flying squirrel. Why did my brain go there? <laughs> like, that's the most likely thing.
2: Really? Were you living in Arizona at the time?
1: I was, yes.
2: Yeah, that's that makes sense. Arizona seems like a place that'll cook food in the back of your car. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. Anyway, so if anyone can explain why that happened to me... Um, <clears throat> I mean, I have a lot of things I want to discuss with you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I go first today. Let me, uh, let me just say this, that uh, I came across this article and had no idea this was a thing. <gasps> and it's a pretty big deal, I-, I guess. How I did not hear about this is beyond me.
2: I'm very excited.
1: The chest is about a square foot in size, And it weighs about 40 pounds because it's full of emeralds. That's going to make things hard to breathe. Not that kind of a chest. It's a buried treasure chest. And it's legit. And it's somewhere in the Southwest. And the guy who buried it did so in 2010. So. What? Yeah, it's not been out there for a long time. Let me explain. The guy's.
2: Okay. Nope. Yep. You do your thing. Go ahead.
1: The guy's name is uh, Forrest Fenn. He's 87 years old now, and uh, he's a, a former Vietnam fighter pilot, an art dealer, and amateur archaeologist. And so over the years, he has found and traded for and collected valuable items, mm-hmm. including jewels and gold coins and things like that. Cool. In 1998, he was diagnosed with cancer, and so he put all of his collectible things in this box with the idea that what he was going to do for, for whatever reason, who knows, you know, eccentric kind of guy. He was going to take that box of jewels and, and collectibles that he has up into the mountains and die there with his treasure. He was just going to lie down up there in the mountains with his treasure and die. That was how he wanted to go out. Okay. For whatever reason. Now, again, this, this treasure uh, includes gold nuggets, rare coins, jewelry, gemstones, and an olive jar which has his autobiography inside of it.
2: I hate olives.
1: What, what do you have against olives? It doesn't
2: matter. Go ahead.
1: Anyway, so this is back in 1988. But he gets better.
2: I got better. He,
1: he got better. Uh, he, he was able to overcome his, uh, his cancer. Awesome. He beat it, survived his illness. But then he just kind of put the treasure chest in a walk-in vault. In his home, where it was seen by friends and business associates, they know it's real. Okay, they've actually they've seen it. They've opened it up. It was it was what he said it was. At one point, uh, Finn found himself at odds with federal antiquities laws. FBI agents raided his home in 2009 as part of an investigation into artifact looting in the Four Corners area, uh, and seized many items. He was not charged though. And they did not take his treasure chest, so he starts thinking about what he wants to do with his treasure chest. And of course, the the recession had hit; the economy was in the tank. People were desperate. He decided his idea was to take this somewhere out into the uh, into the Midwest and bury it, and then leave clues. And whoever, it's finders keepers. Mm-hmm. And he said he did this because he wanted to give people hope. He wanted to give them something positive at a time when the economy was in the in the crapper.
2: Sure, the Four Corners area. You mean the Utah, Colorado,
1: Arizona, Arizona New
2: Mexico thing? Yes. Where they all kind of connect. Mm-hmm. Kissy face.
1: Yep. Okay. Finn estimates that uh, since he made this known. Uh, that he had done this, and since he published his clues, which you can find on uh, his social media, uh, Instagram being one of them, I'll, I'll I'll give you the clues here in a few minutes. Yes, you will. <laughs> uh, he says that as many as 350,000 people have gone hunting for the treasure. This is according to a, a CNBC article. Okay. He adds that there is no way of knowing whether anyone has actually gotten close. It could be found soon, he said. Mm-hmm. Maybe not for a thousand years. He doesn't know.
2: Does he know that it hasn't been found?
1: Yes, he does. He, he goes there periodically. He's gone out there a couple of times to see if it's still there. Oh, I see. And it is. He says, no one knows where the treasure chest is but me. Uh, he told that to NPR in 2016. And that includes his wife. His wife doesn't even know. Oh, wow. If he dies tomorrow, he said. And he's 87. The knowledge of that location goes into the coffin with him, he oh says. Oh, my goodness. No one knows where the treasure chest is but me.
2: Does his wife want to know where the treasure is? Because I want to know about how that relationship's going right now. <laughs>
1: yeah, my guess is she's like, come on, Forrest. You give everybody clues but me. I just don't know what's
2: going on with you anymore.
1: You used to share all of your buried treasure secrets with me. What's happened to us? What? happened like that now the main piece of guidance that fan has offered is uh this cryptic 24 line poem that he wrote in his self-published memoir the thrill of the chase he has since shared the poem on instagram this kind of reminds me of the movie rat, rat race. race yeah i
2: knew exactly where you were going with it i'm winning i'm winning oh
1: a nickel mm <laughs> Part of the poem reads like this. uh, Begin it where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down. Not far, but too far to walk. Put in.
2: (laughs) That sounds awfully dirty. Take it in the canyon. (laughs) Not
1: Not too far. Not
0: too far.
1: Put it in below the home of Brown. (laughs) 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 Is is the next line. Put it in below
0: the home of Brown.
1: Yeah. Now that I read this out loud, maybe he's just pranking us. Maybe
2: he's working on a porn novel. Maybe. Could
1: be. He says, read the clues in my poem over and over. Study the maps of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, He recently told, Fen recently told Business Insider, try to marry the two. The treasure is out there waiting for the person who can make all the lines cross in the right spot.
2: Make all the what in the right spot?
1: All the lines cross okay. in the right spot. Now, needless to say, some of the Fen treasure hunters are, well, obsessive. Sure, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, here's one guy, Ricky Idlet. He's a steamboat operator. He says he's on Google all the time, trying to find clues, checking out like Google Earth and mm-hmm. looking for anything that might give him a uh, technological edge. There's a number of online forums where enthusiasts trade theories about where the treasure might be, including an entire subreddit called r slash finding gold. That's devoted to, to this particular cause.
2: Have they made like alliances and like, if you find it and I find it, then we'll split it because uh, you put in this work and I put in this work. And are there like teams?
1: Oh yeah, there's got to be. And you know, there's going to be betrayal.
2: There will be. Someone's going to get kicked off that Island.
1: Fenn says he gets a uh, hundred emails a day according to an interview he did with the New York Times. On a few occasions, he has had to call the police after unwelcome visitors showed up at his house and or threatened him.
2: Oh my goodness, that's not how you get things, guys.
1: Fentel's ABC News, quote, This one guy called me. He said, tell me where the treasure is right now or I'm going to kill you. Now, the guy's 87. He's probably like, whatever. (laughs) For some, the quest has actually proven fatal. Unfortunately, really, four people—at least four people—that they know of—are believed to have died in accidents while searching. Uh, this has led some to uh, call for Fenn to end the hunt. Mm-hmm. They think it's unsafe and he shouldn't be doing this. But he hasn't. But he has added a few additional clues to his blog to uh, try to help people stay safe. According to the CNBC article that I'm I'm quoting,
2: clues like it is not. Under that giant boulder. Stop trying to get under that giant boulder.
1: Almost exactly that. (laughs) The treasure, he says, is not underwater, nor is it near the Rio Grande River. It is not necessary to move large rocks or climb up and down a steep precipice, he writes. Hmm. Quote, please remember that I was about 80 when I made two trips from my vehicle to where I hid the treasure. He says that the search is supposed to be fun, so don't go dying.
2: No, those those are good things to include. I think.
1: Now he says that not only did he want to give people hope mm-hmm. when he uh, when he decided to do this, uh, he also wanted to encourage families to enjoy the outdoors. He said, "I wanted to give the kids something to do. Uh, they spend too much time in their game rooms with their games, playing their games." <laughs> They're little handheld texting machines.
2: You know, but you now kids. That's, that's not a problem Mare. now because we have Pokemon Go.
1: Well, that's true. Now you get out, you can play your games and annoy people in real life.
2: It's not annoying. It's wonderful.
1: He said, I hope parents will take their children camping and hiking in the Rocky Mountains. I hope they will fish. I hope they look for fossils. Turn rotten logs over and see what's under them. Aww. And look for my treasure. He says, uh, considering the hundreds of thousands of people who have gone searching for the treasure, he says that uh, hiding it in the first place has been the most successful thing I've ever done. Successful beyond my wildest dreams. Because again, he's created this this myth. It's still out there. It hasn't been found.
2: I love the idea that he thought of it as being like an opportunity to create outings for families. That sounds like something that would have just been a blast as a kid is to like come on kids we're gonna load into the station wagon and we're gonna camp out and look for forests what's it called
1: fenn's treasure
2: fenn's treasure
1: so what are the clues yes please here's the poem okay it is uh superimposed over a graphic of a map okay and the map shows montana wyoming colorado and down into new mexico so it's about a thousand mile area okay here's the poem As I have gone alone in there, and with my treasure bold, I can keep my secret where, the hunt of riches new and old, begin it where the warm waters halt, and take it to the canyon down, not far, but too far to walk, put in below the home of Brown. From there it's no place for the meek, the end is ever drawing nigh, there'll be no paddle up your creek, fast heavy loads and water high. (laughs) Stop it! If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down, your quest to cease. But tarry scant with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answer I already know. I've done it tired and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good. Your efforts will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. It's I'm reading it off the map and it's that weird kind of calligraphy kind of print. And it's very small and uh, my eyesight's going. So. No, so I,
2: I think you, you did good.
1: I did the best did I could. You did good. Yeah. So we need to take my metal detector and go there. And, yes. just, and just metal detect from northern New Mexico up through Wyoming.
2: I'm in. So what this map is to tell us is that the gold, or the treasure is definitely hidden within this
1: range. That's the impression I get, yes.
2: Has that been made clear? Or is that just what people are assuming because that's the part of the map that we're seeing?
1: In an article that I read, and I, and I can't remember which one it was, he indicated that, yes, it was somewhere buried in the map that uh, that is published with his poem.
2: and it is on public land. yes, okay. It would have because to it be. can't be yeah. buried like on some dude's backyard. right. Oh, no, it says right here. Forest Fenn's hidden treasure is somewhere to be found within the highlighted region of the Rocky Mountains on this map.
1: There you go. See, I couldn't read that because it was in that weird calligraphy and Yet, very, very small type. It does look like that
2: old piratey font.
1: He's gone all out with this one. So there you go Forest Fens Gold. Oh my gosh. Should we have an outing? We should do.
2: Yes, an outing. Oh, we'll load everyone into the station wagon.
1: <laughs> yes, we'll take all of our freaks treasure hunting. That would be so great. That
2: would be so much fun.
1: Actually, we could start in Albuquerque. We got friends there, and we'll just yes. work our way up to Wyoming, where uh, Chief Freak Tyler lives.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is perfect. Stephanie, Jersh, we're on our way.
1: It
0: began as that stuff that didn't seem to fit anywhere else. It's become
1: that thing in the middle. There's one thing that we say a lot during the Box of Oddities, and that's, well, those were different times. There's never a better example of that than today's, uh, that thing in the middle.
0: Oh,
2: yeah. Some of these are hilarious, and some of these just aren't even funny because of how just awful they are.
1: (laughs) These are vintage television commercials, the audio of television commercials, obviously, that were extremely sexist. This is uh, mostly from the 50s and early 60s. And even though we have a long way to go in society, Mm. we've come a long way. It's good to remind ourselves of this. Listen.
0: The homemaker walks miles every day, from sink to icebox, from cupboard to stove, and from kitchen to dining table. When a woman's at the wheel, polyglass means more than mileage. Darling, it's our anniversary. Why so glum? Nothing. Well, it's your coffee. Again? Even today? Honey, your coffee just doesn't taste any good. Oh, no. What's wrong? Oh, it's your coffee again. The desk sergeant at the station makes better coffee than this. Ed, really? Sorry, honey, but your coffee tastes terrible. That's a woman for you. I asked her to get my shirts whiter. What does she call this whiter? Every woman needs to be herself at times. Your answer? Baking. Don't you want to have a good shave? Good
1: shape. I I could just see you getting angrier and angrier as that clip progressed.
2: Uh, mm, I, uh, uh.
1: <laughs> Don't you want to have a good shape? He wants you to have a good shape. Drink tab.
2: I don't even know what to say about some of those. It's just, I mean, I get the bad coffee thing because I think no matter who you're married to, they should be able to make good coffee. But all the rest, just vile and horrendous. And every shape is a shape, and it's good. Thank you.
1: That's lovely. That's just lovely. Thank you. We were exploring a uh, an abandoned house that was about to be torn down, and we found a bunch of uh, Red Book magazines from the early 60s.
2: Oh, my gosh. Amazing, amazing examples of misogyny oh. and marketing.
1: Yeah. There was one ad, and I and I believe it was a, a coffee ad. I think I remember the name of the client, but I'm not positive, so I'm not going to say it.
2: Is it the one with the woman kneeling?
1: No, that's a good one, too. This is the one where... The guy has his wife over his lap and he's spanking her because she doesn't make good coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those were different times. Not every box in the world should be open.
0: Just, you know, the odd ones. This is The Box of Oddities. All right, your turn. What you got?
2: It's time for some well-deserved light heartedness Okay. Okay. So, no murder in in this
1: topic. No no Axeman from Narland.
2: No Axeman. Nope. We're just going to discuss, not my favorite, but many people's favorite condiment.
1: Oh, condiment. Okay. Okay.
2: Okay. In the late 17th century... Because
1: I thought you were going to say condom.
2: Because you couldn't wait until the end of my word? Right. You just got so excited got by the so- word condom? Yep. Are you 12? A little bit. In the late 17th century, ketchup wasn't a thing. There were, however, European merchants, sailors, and military forces uh, going all over Asia. And uh, when they came home, they were missing the sweet, tangy tastes from their visits. Specifically, they missed ketsaip. Ketsaip. I don't have any idea how to even begin to pronounce it. Carefully,
1: it's it's starting to sound racist.
2: It's like K and then an E with that uh, carrot over it, and then a dash, Mm. and then T-S-I-A-P. Okay. Keatsop? I'm not sure.
1: Clearly the forerunner to our word, ketchup.
2: Exactly. It was a thin, dark condiment that might have been Cantonese in origin, meaning roughly eggplant juice and it also was very similar to or the idea was that it might have been similar to the Malaysian version of a fermented fish sauce yeah
1: yeah excuse me I had heard that it was it had some kind of fish sauce ancestry
2: right um so when people were coming back to Europe they tried to make this for themselves the problem was they had no idea what was in it so first they butchered the name (laughs) <laughs> and then they started really getting creative with recipes.
1: And by the way, is it ketchup or catsup? Uh, you see it spelled with a K. You see it spelled with a C. You see it with an A and E. What's, what's the proper way? I've seen it both ways.
2: I don't think there is a proper way.
1: I'm going with the K version.
2: Okay. No, I want you to feel good about that.
1: Because it just, it's more American to say ketchup than catsup.
0: Catsup.
1: Catsup. No.
2: Do you want to just work on the word catsup for a little while?
1: Catsup. I'll just be over here. Ketchup. Yeah, ketchup. Okay, it's with a K. It's the official box of oddity stands on on condiment pronunciation. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm shutting up. Catsup.
2: So some varieties stuck with the fishy ingredients like oysters and anchovies, but other recipes called for walnuts, mushrooms, and other vegetables. The idea of using mushrooms in ketchup was rooted in something that Europeans uh, were making for a very long time, pickled mushrooms, and somewhere along the way, someone realized that the liquid that came from pickling mushrooms could be used again, and that Over time, became mushroom ketchup, and mushroom ketchup is actually still a thing in some places. That's that. uh,
1: You know, I'm open-minded when it comes to condiments, but um, no.
2: No, it's it's a lot of people use it, and it's like in Europe. They're, they're, you go into a Tesco and they've got mushroom ketchup. Wow, it's a thing. Um, originally, it was meant as an additive to soups, other sauces, and to ladle over fish. And uh, it was just to add that kind of tangy flavor to dishes. And that whatever that thing was that you were ladling was called ketchup. The first known recipe to actually include tomatoes was published in 1812 by horticulturist James Meese. And he called tomatoes love apples, kind of like (laughs) the French did. Um, But his recipe... Sounds like one of
1: the stanzas to that guy's poem. It
2: does. Just below the love apple.
1: Take the road of brown.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Only on special occasions. But his recipe also included quite a bit of brandy. So that made for a fun Ooh. ketchup.
1: <laughs> I would love to try that. Not so much the mushroom ketchup, but the brandy ketchup, I'm in.
2: Yeah, yeah. In uh, uh, in 1834, Dr. John Cook Bennett took the idea of tomatoes and ketchup, and he touted tomatoes as being something of a cure-all. Now, at this time in history, tomatoes were still really distrusted by people um, in the mid. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. In the mid 1500s, tomatoes were introduced from Central and South America. But witches were believed to have a tie in with tomatoes and. Um, There was a concoction that people suspected witches used on their broomsticks to prepare for flying, and that mixture included various nightshades, which, of course, tomatoes are. I know. I know. This is crazy. (laughs)
1: This is crazy. You can tell if she's a witch if she has ketchup on her broomstick. (laughs) So. She's a
0: witch!
2: The tomato was also suspected to help witches in turning into cats or werewolves or whatever, you know, shape-shifting.
1: Well, it is a nightshade, right? Correct. And that just sounds creepy.
2: It's true. So tomatoes weren't very popular for the general public to just go noshing on. But Dr. John Cook Bennett claimed that they were um, a cure-all and prevented cholera, They were the best treatment for diarrhea, indigestion, jaundice, rheumatism. And it was his testimony that elevated tomatoes onto the American food radar. Hmm. He sold ketchup as medicine. It helped all these things and actually had a pill salesman make his sauce into tomato pills, which he sold as as medicine. Now, once his pills began to hit the market... Lots of copycats began selling their own tomato-based pills. And unfortunately, some weren't really, I mean, obviously none of these were medicine, but some weren't even tomato. Some were just laxatives. And it was like, here, take this. It'll cure your diarrhea. What? But due to all the false claims, the ketchup as medicine business kind of died. Ironically, maybe it should have had some ketchup. So the mid-1800s rolls around, and this idea of tomato-based ketchup had really started to to catch on, if you will, um, because it was sweeter than the more savory, like, mushroom-based ketchups, and we as a people were getting way into anything that was sweet. And unfortunately, um, tomatoes have a pretty short growing season in in places like Europe and North America, so... Preserving ketchup is hard. So people started adding really gross things to their ketchup to preserve them. Things like sodium benzenite or coal tar. Coal
1: tar? Yeah.
2: Um, That was a thing. Yeah. And so people started to really distrust ketchup because they didn't know what was gonna be in it.
1: Sure. Morphine, coal tar, (laughs) you know?
2: (laughs) It was a tough time for ketchup. Henry J. Hines came along, and he wanted to make a quality ketchup that people could trust.
1: Go Pittsburgh!
2: So he wanted to make this preservative-free ketchup that would last in the icebox. So what he did was add a ton of vinegar to it, Mm. uh, which also meant adding more sugar as well. Um, Otherwise, And he wanted people to know that they could trust their ketchup. So he started packaging it in clear bottles, clear glass bottle so you could see your ketchup and the the idea that almost all ketchup you see sold comes in a clear bottle never even occurred to me until I was reading this article on uh, curiosity.com and um, it's it states that that came just from Heinz and his wanting to say, look, you can see my ketchup doesn't have coal tar in it.
1: <laughs> and, so, and that's been carried on through the years. Yeah. Not just with the Heinz brand, but every single brand of uh, of ketchup. Almost. Almost. That's that's fascinating. Yeah.
2: So most of this information, I just mentioned curiosity.com, uh, most came from... That source, mashed.com as well, and, of course, Wikipedia. Heinz also started offering tours of his factory so you could see the ketchup being made. And he was on a trip one time through New York City. He spotted a shoe store that touted that they had 21 styles of shoes. And he just thought it was kind of interesting and notable the way that they said 21. It wasn't like more than 20 styles of shoes. Right, right. So he decided that that was something he wanted to do is pick a specific number and say this is how many styles of sauces and condiments that we offer and even though they had over 60 at that time he went with the number 57 57. yep exactly so heinz really was the forerunner of this standardized coal tar free clear bottle (laughs) tomato based ketchup that has become like america's Number one condiment, Um, even though I think mustard is far superior. I'm with you on that. The end.
1: Mustard all the way. Thank you. We're mustard people.
2: Yeah. Specifically, Wobers Sandwich Pal jalapeno mustard. It's the best mustard. It is superior.
1: This was not a paid endorsement, by the way. No. Just an endorsement. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Last year, for my birthday, I got a case of Wobers jalapeno mustard because someone loves me. Yeah,
1: I'm a romantic at heart. Love you, honey. Here's a box of mustard. You you love me so much. (laughs) It's the box of oddities. And you can send us a message, uh, an email at... uh, Curator at theboxofoddities.com.
2: You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Goodreads, and Facebook.
1: We're so glad you're part of the Freak family, and we look forward to seeing you on Monday.
2: Until then, keep flying that Freak flag. Fly
0: it proudly.
1: And so, let it be known that the Box
0: of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The box of oddities.com on Facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on Twitter at box of oddities and Instagram at box of oddities podcast copyright 2018. All rights reserved.
2: So, Nope. I'm just going to skip all that.
1: (laughs) Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack
2: of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes.